Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Good morning, folks. This is Faisal Khan with Around the Coin. Uh, my co-host, Brian Romley. Uh, Mike Townsend has taken off this week. Uh, so, Brian, how are you doing? Doing wonderful, Faisal. Uh, great to be here. And good luck to Mike. He's in a marathon from uh, Los Angeles to San Diego down a beautiful uh, five, uh, or sorry, the one, uh, highway five South, and it's going to be a great run for him. Yeah, and uh, I think he's going to 160 miles, I believe. 160 miles. This guy's a marathoner and, uh, incredible business mind. Uh, he's got a great thing going. Yeah. So well, we wish him us, luck today. Makes us feel old, doesn't it? Yeah. I've been running the bike a lot up the mountain. So, you know, maybe we'll catch up with it one of these days. So uh, what's new in the payments world? Let's start with um, PayPal and Paydian. What do you think about that? PayPal. What a great, uh, great combination. Really, really. The first acquisition under the new uh, tutelage uh, from Dan there and uh, new CEO. And I think it's uh, it's extremely important. Um, now, uh, you're familiar with uh, Padient, right? Uh, yep. You're part so of the work. So, yeah, so they are essentially, many people think that they are a processor. They're not. They're actually a technology company. They're a software company. Yes. And uh, they make the uh, <clears throat> the underlying software for uh, what was the MCX even uh, and many other uh, clients that they have. So PayPal sure. bought this company. What do you think PayPal is going to do with it? Well, I think it's an alignment to form um, a deeper relationship with the MCX merchants. I think um, PayPal is looking at the landscape, especially under uh, Dan's incredible uh, brilliance. I mean, the guy's really, really a, uh, a, a, a long-term player in this industry. He has a challenge at hand because there are a lot of philosophical uh, maybe not real problems that PayPal is is facing with Apple Pay, but it just uh, the optics look bad. And I think what they're doing is they're looking at the existing relationships that uh, Payton has with MCX and maybe forming, with, with, this is what I'm seeing, uh, where PayPal is essentially the underlying payment system for MCX. Mm -hmm. So that's my prediction we're going to be seeing a technology relationship between the uh, the two companies, or, or what I would say, really between uh, PayPal, Payden, and MCX. And I think one of the things that really prompted the acquisition was the user interface and user experience for uh, both the merchant and the consumer on the MCX wallet, the currency wallet, was quite... 
uh, complicated. I'll say that is probably the best word. And it caused a lot of the um, MCX members to take a step back and say, what has our committee created? As if that's a surprise, committees have a, a uh, history of creating things that um, may not be so pretty. And I think under Dan's um, management, we might see a more vibrant and a more fleet-footed uh, MCX currency type of scenario. Now, whether it's called that, whether the retailers actually show that that's what's actually happened, you know, it's, it's, it's a question. But it certainly is a great alignment and a great acquisition and, quite frankly, could really be the way that PayPal gets back into the Apple wallet. But because the, ultimately, you know, there's there's yeah. a line of thought that PayPal is already a wallet, uh, and they have quite a lot of uh, access to the mobile aspect of it. So why go out and buy another wallet technology company? Well, it's really access to the merchants, right? Their retail strategy um, is um, well since the departure of one of their retail heads. It was a brilliant guy, but it just didn't gel. The retail new independent PayPal publicly traded company is going to need to have the best connection with friends as possible. And this is a ready-made way to buy into a friendship. And uh, these are top retailers. They have an agenda. Uh, it's an anti-Visa and MasterCard agenda, to be frank. It's the only real reason they form currency is, uh, is that, and perhaps to maybe gain slight, slightly more data about their users. But that data about users uh, narrative is more what we hear in the Silicon Valley as the imaginative reason for everything. Data about users, the, the, the bottom line is even the merchants that have their own payment cards and their own frequent, uh, frequent buyer cards, they're not using data anywhere near the level that people would imagine. It's used in a very cursory way, even at the largest, most sophisticated retailers, not because they're dumb, not because they don't have the data scientists, is that they discovered long ago that you can get overwhelmed uh, with data to the point where it corrupts your view of how things really are mm. in the real world. Mm. So mm. they find a balance with it. Mm. So it's a great move for, uh, uh, for PayPal. It is not an anti-move against anybody. And I think PayPal ultimately is not so much a wallet. And uh, I would say even currency MCX is not so much a wallet, but as a network as a potential new payment network that may at some point challenge Visa and MasterCard as a new payment vehicle because mm. they are issuing credit, you know, and they are doing yeah, um, yeah. all the and things a, that Visa and MasterCard did. pretty big play because uh, suddenly uh, the merchants have access to about, what, uh, I think the, the latest numbers are about 160 to 162 million active PayPal users, you know? Very true, very true. It's, it's, it's a big network. Uh, it's uh, not as large as growing like a weed, and not close to the $1 billion, uh, that Apple has as we speak. Uh, I think we'll probably hear that Apple has $1 billion cards on file uh, on Monday, but we'll see, you know, mm -hmm. at uh, Tim Cook's uh, Apple Watch announcement. And, and how does this also play up with the uh, another recent announcement that we talked about last week about, you know, Samsung Pay coming in and, you know, as you know, in, the, uh, in Barcelona, the Mo uh, Mobile World uh, Congress, they launched that product. It's coming in uh, the U.S., uh, I guess, and uh, probably Canada or U.K. this summer. Uh, they actually demoed the whole thing. Pretty nifty, pretty neat. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, if you saw the demo videos, they were, you know, it was uh, well done, very well done, and uh, no special needs for uh, a POS terminal. Well, yeah, in in theory. Well, first off, uh, you and I actually have been talking about Lupe for uh, well, at least uh, last spring. We were probably first talking about it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a brilliant technology. Uh, I and, and the the gentlemen behind it uh, uh, are just absolutely. Uh, uh, some of the best minds and payments, and I think that that's really the big asset. But you were a little skeptical last week on yes. Uh, how ahead. okay? So uh, has that changed? That position changed? No, no. It's actually gotten worse, Faisal. Basically, what a great show we did last week. Uh, it mm-hmm. actually got a lot of play. It, uh, it was included in an article I wrote for Forbes magazine, and uh, uh, quite a few media uh, sources picked it up. We were talking about it before it was it was officially Samsung Pay, and there, there we were talking Samsung Pay, mm. and it came out that way. So it, it, it was interesting. Well, the same things I alluded to then uh, are the same now. We predicted correctly. It was fully integrated into the device. Mm. What are the big challenges? Well, I would say it's education and training. Um, and, and, and it's more in the U S uh, you put, you brought up some incredible points around the world and, uh, and, uh, I fully agree, but let's just look at in the U S, uh, about let's, I, I'm, I'm going to be conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say 68% of terminals in the United States are unreachable by, uh, the consumer holding a Samsung phone. So that means the terminals are somewhere behind the counter. Some are rather close. You have to reach over the counter, but you're violating the space. Mm. Some are quite far, and there's no way you can get to it without you getting around that counter or handing the merchant your phone. So, which is a very Samsung, unique point because uh, not many people think about this. You know, you go to a a certain, uh, let's say, a car dealership and a service center, and this uh, there's a bulletproof glass or check cashiers or and a it's bar or a bar and you, you go know, to a bar yeah and you go to a jewelry store you go to a lot of cafes uh a lot of restaurants you basically when samsung presents that they will work at 97 percent of terminals that's a correct data point but the empirical praxis actually being out in the field like myself and mm. our researchers, when you actually go out in the field, it, it, it isn't so uniform. It isn't so easy. So now let's just look at this. We'll, we'll drill down just for a second on this. I'm a user of Samsung Pay. I get in line and I want to use Samsung Pay, but the terminal is obviously not available to me. Now I have a cognitive load. I have a memory issue. I have a mind issue. I have a thinking problem. Do I want to slow down the line if there's somebody behind me and ask Mm. the merchant, can I please use my phone? The merchant might look at them and say, can you pull out your credit card from your wallet? See, if you have to hand the phone to the merchant, there's a lot. You're giving that merchant your phone. They drop it. That merchant is fully liable for the life of that phone. The second problem is, and this I can only garner from the user interface experience I've seen from the videos of the demonstrations at the Mobile World Congress. And it seems like you must have your fingerprint uh, over the sensor to conclude the transaction. And so whose fingerprint is going to conclude that transaction while you're holding it one inch from the credit card terminal? Mm. So you got that issue. There's also, and this is the biggest issue really, 
there's no training of the cashier. There's no training of the merchant. Yeah, I can you're, see, uh, you know, going into a jewelry store, buying something for $2,000, putting the phone up right next to the boss machine, uh, <laughs> raise quite an eyebrow over there, you know, if they don't yeah. have training. So the, the, the logical might say, oh, come on, Brian, NFC is, uh, does the same thing. Well, there's a difference. NFC is something that's being added to POS systems, and merchants ostensibly know that they have it, and they can understand the technology because their terminal is actually telling them a different message, right? When you're using MST, which is a Magnetic Secure Transmission, mm-hmm. uh, which is what... Um, or transaction, I, I, I'm not sure of the T, that uh, Samsung is calling this. You're not, as a merchant, seeing anything different on your terminal. It looks like the card was swiped. And again, we have that potential of the hacking problem hmm. where somebody might believe it's a hack. So Yeah, because they don't, was, they don't know if their terminal... Well, see, when you get an NFC upgrade on your terminal or, or is you know activated, uh, the... These the people in the store There's know, lights. yeah. Well, they know that you know it. There's it beeps. is a it is a contactless payment that has now been activated. That they can expect customers to come in and do this. But when you yes. have a good old fashioned, you know, one of those old Ingenico machines or what have you, um, and you know, some guy brings up a Samsung phone and says, "Boop, doop," you know, done. And uh, yeah, I can I can see where the problem is there. Well, put yourself into your 17-year-old uh, summer job shoes, right? <laughs> and the boss leaves you at work and he says, okay, you're responsible for everything that goes down here. And somebody comes in with a phone and you might say, hey, that's that's cool. But when you look at it, you say, well, hold it. How do I know that I, we really took the money? How do we know it's really there? Uh, I'm, I'm getting the signal, but I'm not sure. So Samsung has a training an education problem that is massive. And what what concerns me, and I told this to the people at Loop uh, you know, months ago, I said, if you get an acquirer of this system, a vast amount of money and time and effort should be spent for education. If you just put it out in the wild, you're, and I know this not because I'm guessing. I've actually been using Loop Pay for months, uh, for almost a year. Uh, and and um, I used to dongle more than the um, than the uh, iPhone cover because mm-hmm. I don't have that size iPhone anymore. Mm-hmm. It was only made for iPhone 5S back mm-hmm. then. In any case, I would take the dongle. It, it looks kind of cool. It's in a little rubberized uh, bumper case. And it would be on my keychain and I'll hold it up to a terminal. And I got to tell you, Faisal, one time I had the police called. You know, I had a merchant look at me and said, "What did you? What <laughs> did you just surprised. do?" I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. How 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 do the rules work on this thing? You know, I mean, for example, the merchant rules are: you know, hold your card, see the logo, see that uh, you know uh, optical thing, uh, you know, the bird sign in the card, wave it around. The hologram, which, yeah, the hologram, the, the signature strip. So that's what CDD everyone's been number. trained for. How how does the training when you going into contactless payments? How does the training? How is the training imparted by at least the acquiring you, banks? You make forever. There's been something called the Code Ten procedure, and mm-hmm. again, most people think it's like where are you getting this from? It's a real procedure, and it's it's named after the the word that you use when you call the toll free number if you're suspecting some yeah. sort of fraud taking place at your facility. So you would say, "Oh, uh, Mr. Consumer, I'll be right back. I have to call this in. Don't worry about it." Uh, and then you say, "I have a Code 10. And they'll say, uh, is the cardholder there? Yes. Uh, are, are you feeling threatened in any way? No. 
uh, what is your basis for the code 10? Well, the hologram looks like it was uh, printed on. And when I look at the numbers, it looks like somebody flattened them out and raised them up again with a different number. And they say, okay, um, would you like us to call the police for you? And then in the old days, it used to be, can you please cut the card in half? The cutting the card in half is a less of a thing these days because of the, uh, the potential of... Uh, uh, injury, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so Code 10 is designed as a way for the merchant to get out of the liability box. Because what Visa MasterCard says in their merchant agreements, and it's very clear, and I've been reading these for 30 years, is that you as a merchant have the obligation to verify that you're taking a bona fide credit card Nothing else is ever mentioned other than credit card, even as we speak today, and that you must examine the card and they list all the different things and then they list the documents you need to understand, which I've been giving to merchants ever since I've been, you know, was in payment processing, which was the code 10 procedures. Some of them are look kind of antiquated, but it shows you the card. It shows you what to look for, the logo, the hologram. Uh, use your finger to see if the hologram is a decal. That's an old thing, but it's still around. The people just put a new hologram uh, decal on the card. Uh, it's called white plastic fraud. They get blanks that kind of look like Visa cards. They, they get uh, a decal that has a Visa logo, a hologram, and some other things like the mag strip. Uh, may or may not read correctly the first time because the way they're encoding the strip may not be ultra perfect or they might not even have any data and mm. you have to key it in. Mm. Uh, the other thing is the signature panel. Uh, it's actually very difficult to, to duplicate the exact sig signature panels that you're used to. Uh, CVV2 numbers, uh, some merchants in high-risk areas, even though CVV2 is designed for non-face-to-face uh, -face transactions, CMV. they'll enter in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, they'll enter that CVV2 number into the terminal, three digits on the uh, signature panel on a Visa MasterCard Discover and on the front pa panel of an American Express. American Express design is actually very infrequently um, uh, used for uh, for uh, card fraud where the card's physically present. So anyway, that's what Code 10 is for. And Code 10 has actually be become more of an issue since the major breaches that we've seen at Target and the other uh, 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 stores that were involved. And uh, these were uh, criminals that were essentially taking these cards and, uh, and using them at retail stores to try to get big ticket items. Uh, now, what does this mean for phone? Well, when NFC came out, Visa and MasterCard modified some of the uh, agreements to say that your new code 10 is to look for notification on your payment card terminal that a successful contactless transaction was concluded. And you still have the right to examine the card if you are concerned as a merchant. So what I'm essentially saying is, under Code 10 rules, Visa and MasterCard are essentially making the merchant become skeptical uh, and using that skepti skeptical nature uh, if they even sense anything. Uh, that's their first line of defense. Hmm. So when you're dealing with this from a technology standpoint, us payment nerds go, wow, that's cool. Look what happened to this round. And imagine you're the store owner. And imagine this is the first time you've seen this. And Can you deny this payment? Does the, does the merchant yes. have the right to do it? Absolutely. It's done all the time. Uh, and um, there there is no requirement that you have to accept a payment as a merchant if you think it's suspect. So now, it may, what, what, may be what, embarrassing. But. Well, so what, I mean, one of the possible 
uh, outcomes could be that these transactions could be reported, genuine transactions could be reported as fraud. It's going to create a bit of a confusion. That's why I go back to education. Now, you could see their launch partners were Visa, MasterCard, American Express. Mm -hmm. But in my article I wrote for Forbes, what came up was quotes from Vice President, uh, Executive Vice President of Visa and MasterCard saying that MST is a transitional technology mm -hmm. uh, that was MasterCard. And Visa said that MST does not make the transaction any more safe. And uh, so... There's this sort of two elements to Samsung Pay. There's the NFC and the MST. And I think the card brands are really wanting to support Samsung for NFC. And they just kind of clinch their nose and hold it at distance what MST is about, even though that's what's getting the news headlines. And I talked to a reporter, um, you know, I think the day it was announced, and he said, they have so many more locations. And I said, well... When you start breaking down the number of locations and you analyze the behind-the-counter challenges and the unreachable challenges and then the impractical challenges, you might see that a lot of Samsung users may feel first embarrassed, uh, maybe not empowered. If there's no clear POS material, point-of-sale indicators to say, hey, we're welcoming you, um, you might just be meek and say, here's my credit card. Whereas the Apple Pay experience and maybe the Samsung NFC experience and certainly uh, the Android Pay experience that they're planning, uh, you're going to have logos and identifiers and you're going to have this welcoming feeling. Like when you walked into Whole Foods after Apple Pay was announced, there were signs everywhere. There were trained tech technical people around. Mm -hmm. There were certainly uh, cashiers that mm -hmm. were trained. McDonald's, not so much. There's still some user uh, fails there. But most merchants are welcoming this technology because they feel uh, they feel safe about it and they feel it's driving sales. So if I was sitting at Samsung Pay today, I would be developing a strategy to solve this problem and then look at it from the point of view of how much time and effort will we dedicate to the education feature as the market for this is a smaller and smaller market. Would we see any, uh, would we see any, uh, you know, Samsung Pay accepted here kind of stickers coming up on merchant doors. There better be. There better be. Absolutely. And 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 it's got to be it's got to be clear to the consumer what type of Samsung Pay because right now Yeah, from uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question because this is I mean, you would actually have to go and get a, a external dongle if you want to use it in your existing Samsung. It's only on certain models, and I think it's the S uh, Galaxy S six is S6. the one yep. is the one that's supporting it natively. Yeah, the iPhone S six uh, made by Samsung. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry, uh, you know this using the six. I, anyway, uh, it, it, it was funny when I first looked at it. I go with the curve. Uh, the one I think it's called Curve. It's exactly what I saw in an Apple patent uh, three years ago. Uh, Apple patented uh, using the sides, uh, but I don't. I, I I don't know if Apple's yeah, going to do that. But Kyocera has come up. You know, uh, Huawei has yeah. come up with that. So I think everyone's come up with those. Uh, the side molded uh, you know, display the, systems. You know, the thing is the usability of it. 
uh, is in question by the way it was deployed. I think it really isn't the vision that I saw in the Apple patents. Mm -hmm. uh, Apple actually was doing it not curved, but as a right angle, and there was a lot more data usability there. Now, obviously, today, Apple's uh, in the curve uh, phase of their uh, design cycle. I'm predicting them going into a, a an edge phase, probably, maybe not the next number increase, but maybe the number after that. But um, And the edge makes a lot more sense when it's... Um, uh, when it's a, a flat plane and a curve, because it's just, you can't tell, is that the main screen or is it the side screen? And how much data can you really get there, mm. a button, a slider? But yeah, so education is even more complex because as a Samsung Pay user, I'm not expected to know the difference between NFC and MST. Uh, it, to, to, to the user, and again, you got to take yourself out of us technology and payment nerds and put yourself into the uh, I just use this stuff kind of mindset. And you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, I'm holding this phone. I can't really tell what kind of machine it is, right? And I don't know, do I hold it over at the side? What is my feedback indication going to be? See, with NFC and Apple Pay, and I think the NFC version of uh, Samsung Pay, there are feedback mechanisms that are communicating with the uh, NFC device, the NFC payment terminal. So you know that it made the connection and the transaction went through. You'll get a, a push notification saying uh, you just spent $12.95 at, uh, at Panera Bread, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you know it and there's a vibration and sound. When MST feedback, you don't know that the transaction's done unless the merchant uh, signifies that. And it could be signified by a printing of a receipt. It could be signified by something flashing on their POS system, but the consumer doesn't know. And worse yet, after the consummation of the transaction, there is no notification on a screen because there is no way under the uh, MST technology using uh, magnetic induction to send feedback notifications back to the yeah, phone. So this is a, some a point that's very subtle. Um, people who've been seeing the demo say, well, no, 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 you're wrong over there. I do see a notification. No, that's an internal notification generated by your phone telling you right. that you have paid. But the notification from the merchant onto your phone has not come in and will probably never come in. It, it, well, it can't. There's no way for the merchant to know who you are. Yeah. Because all you're giving them is a payment card uh, number and, uh, mm -hmm. and and your name and, and name uh, expiration date. And Visa and MasterCard, I'm certain, is not going to spend millions of dollars to create a brand new infrastructure for a technology that's transitional. You know, if this came out, like we were saying last show, this came out five, eight years ago. Brilliant. There would have been yeah. a completely different thing. You would have seen if it was promoted correctly and uh, it included everybody like the Apple philosophy that we see rather than the closed wallet philosophy that we had at startups. You would have seen the entire ecosystem stand and support this. And it's not like anybody's going to not support it, but you could see that sort of challenge that we have. So if I was at Samsung Pay right now, I'd be like, okay, uh, what's our first line of education? Well, your user. So that uh, wallet experience has to train the user on what are the differences between an MST transaction and NFC hmm. in the machines and how do you use it at those machines. That sounds complex because it is, but it gets worse. You must have not only business 
training, but cashier training. That means a business owner needs to be notified, hey, by the way, you're going to see a lot of our uh, Samsung customers at your store. We're going to be sending you uh, a lot new ways to pay. Here's a, here's a quick uh, overview of how this is going to be used at your business. That would need to be sent to every single possible merchant in the United States and, and the world, if it's going to be around the world. Without that, you're going to have a, a relationship that's going to be very testy between the merchant and the consumer, the merchant and their credit card processing company and Visa, MasterCard and Samsung. They're going to mm. be like, why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't you notify me that this is coming down? And what are you going to assure me that I'm not getting scammed? Because well, I, I think it's uh, fair to say your, your skepticism is well justified. Two questions yeah. before we move on. Do you think Samsung will be uh, in any form subsidizing the Lupe physical uh, dongles for the older generation of Samsung phones? I think so. I, I think they're their best interest is to get this particular technology since they own it in as many hands as possible. It also, by virtue, virtue of the fact that you have an army of people using it, the training issues that I bring up become lesser and lesser. The more people come through your line using it, the more likely you are to know what it means and the more likely you are to not have a problem with it. And that small... I don't make this out to be an amazingly large problem. It could be. It's a small hump if it's if it's uh, dealt with correctly. My my problem is I didn't see that during the announcement. I would have liked to have heard. And by the way, we have a program where we're going to help educate and train merchants around the United States on the unique and uh, incredible features of Samsung MST technology mm -hmm. and maybe even show some of the brochures and reach out to merchants even in during the announcement to say contact you know go to this website to find out how Samsung pay is going to increase your business or whatever marketing uh, angle you want to use but the idea is to, to try to get the education out so uh, I believe you're going to see hopefully them evangelize this. I certainly would. And, um, you know, the end effect is this is going to actually cause more NFC locations because reality is as more people get used to having wallet concepts at their business and certainly users expecting it and loving the NFC portion of Samsung Pay as, as well as Apple Pay and Android Pay at, after this summer or the spring, I think you're going to see merchants, it's already boatloads of NFC equipment was sold this last two weeks. Mm -hmm. So much, so much so that I think that we're stretching capacity again. We saw that um, a few months back when Apple Pay first came out, then production raised. And then this last two weeks, uh, you know, availability of uh, the top selling NFC uh, payment card terminals for small and medium sized merchants, hard to come by for the very large merchants, the customer facing devices, I can tell you, uh, if I sold this Monday, we might find some interesting new merchants because big merchants have been buying the heck out of these things. Mm. I think and, uh, I think people might just uh, say, you know what? It's a safe bet where you see the Apple Pay logo. Let's just just let's just use it there. Exactly, and I think we're in this incredibly interesting transitionary period where you know when we look back at it, we're going to say, oh, of course, it makes sense. But right now, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people how this is playing out. There's still people who are experts in this industry well, Mr. that are questioning. I think the right if, thing if is, is going to happen. Uh, Mr. Gregory Lee is the uh, 
president of Samsung for North America. If you're listening, education is the key. Get in touch with uh, Brian, you know. Uh, one, I'd love to talk to him. <laughs> one last question. Uh, we have Apple Pay. We have PayPal with coming up with some form of an NFC payment, uh, Paydian and, you know, currency and so forth. Sure. We have Samsung Pay. Is there still enough uh, room in the market for other players to enter? If yes, who do you think they would be? Well, Android Pay, uh, we're going to see a, a very active environment being built around uh, Google's Android uh, Google uh, Pay platform. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be renamed Android Pay. Uh, there seems to be a whole lot of uh, uh, insiders that are telling me that. And the reason is Google wants to, it, it wants to decouple their Google brand from it for mm -hmm. a number of reasons so they can get others to promote it. Mm -hmm. This has created, I, I call it Team Android. Team Android has a fracture, and that's Samsung and it's PayPal, and it's, uh, and it's Google. Um, Google fixed one of the fractures, and that was SoftCard. I mean, SoftCard is, this is amazing. SoftCard will be shut off yeah. by the end of this month. Yes. They literally are turning it off. So we are in this realm now where they were a viable player in some people's minds less than six months ago. And unceremoniously, they're being shut off. And guess what? You go to the website and say, what's going to happen after the end of March? Nothing. It's all done. There's no handoff. There's no, oh, get ready for our new thing. It's you'll be able to use a card to the end of the month or the service, and then you won't have anything. And that's it. I'm shocked by that. As a marketer and as, a, as an observer and as an advisor and consultant, I would have said, even though you have maybe not the largest pool of people, you do have enthusiasts within that group. And how in your right mind would you just let them, you know, drive them to the end of the desert road and say, okay, get out. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense. And um, I'm not certain why they felt they needed to do that. Uh, it, it could be because Google only purchased certain assets. We're still not clear what Google acquired. They're saying it wasn't a merger. It wasn't an acquisition. You know, it, it keeps shifting back and forth. But whoever's got control of the... Um, uh, soft card website put up that notice just a couple of days ago. I had a lot of people contact me who were loving it. They actually were early users, payment nerds. They love this. And I said, you know, I'm really mad. My heart's broken. You know, I supported this uh, uh, company. I actually had merchants sign up for it. I motivated my friends and they're just going to drop us off like this. Hmm. So lesson here to anybody who's in business, have a transitionary plan. You know, uh, I remember growing up and I used to love certain tech ma magazines. I remember Omni Magazine, yeah, one of my favorite mag magazines. Science. And, yeah, and Bob Guccione put it together. I actually um, got to meet them because I was so much into I space. Think the, even uh, the font now is called Omni Font, right? It is, it is. And, and I just, I, uh, what a great, anyway, for whatever reason, they had to shut down. What they did is they gave a free once-year subscription to uh, Science, I think it was Science um, Digest magazine, very popular magazine, uh, but much more factoid than, uh, than the, uh, the great, almost wired-like experience that Omni was. But Omni was just everything. So they would hand it off. And, and I love the fact that they, they took care of that. And, and um, you know, I became a, a subscriber for that magazine, even though I didn't prior for years after that until they finally went down. Magazines aren't as popular. So why would somebody let a customer list of X, uh, certainly at least somewhere near a million, if not slightly more, and there's an estimate, uh, die like that? I don't know. So we'll see what Android Pay has to say or 
Maybe it's still going to be called Google Wallet. Hmm. But I think the um, the pay designation is pretty much there. I mean, PayPal, Apple Pay, you know, Samsung Pay, Android Pay. Now, you asked me, what are the, uh, you know, the opportunities? Here's the opportunity. If you're listening to me now and you're a startup and you want to get involved in payments, there's never been a better time. These wallets, uh, you know, go back to the wallet designation, but essentially they are that, uh, are, are, are just one element of this. The bigger and greater element is the technology infrastructure that is forcing the entire ecosystem to have, and that's called NFC, NFC Near Field Communication. What that is, is an internet of retail payments. We now have a standard that we never had before that is open for anybody's creativity mm -hmm. to ride on. And who's to say that all of our payment experiences are going to manifest in our smartphones? Who's to say that? I'm to say that there is a lot of creativity, if you really think about it, on ways that your payment experience may at times or may be full-time manifest in a different type of NFC format. And there may be more richer experiences that you can create that are outside of the smartphone. And, you know, it's not my job to give all of my ideas out, but I think I've telegraphed that very effectively over the last two years. I've, I've said it over and over. This is the greatest startup opportunity in history. We have an ecosystem that we can all build around. And, but, you, you know, know uh, on the flip side, I want to comment, make a side comment that, uh, I mean, I interact with a lot of companies that are in the startup space, have made wallets and so forth. The biggest problem is really not the technology for them. It is the legal and compliance and licensing issues, access to banking. Uh, they are having huge issues. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. mean, you know, some, I, I, I came across an Israeli firm that made a fantastic wallet, uh, wants to introduce it, you know, bring it to stateside. Uh, problem licensing. They say, "Oh, you know, guess what? We found out we need money transmitter licensing." Um, same thing happened with other wallet providers who are making them. You know, and, and then getting access. And the minute they even get one money transmitter license, the bank classifies them as high risk and wouldn't open their account. So that problem remains. Uh, so how do you? I mean, you know, it, it can be a serious downer that you go and raise all the funding and so forth. And one of the questions that come up is, "How are you going to handle?" the money transmission aspect of it and, you know, not too many answers over there. I hear you, Faisal. You know, there's so many elements to the whole payments infrastructure. You know, the element I'm talking about where there's really great startup opportunity and no licensing requirements is just being able to present a payment card number via the NFC open standard. You don't need to ask anybody's permission to do that as it stands today. And, on top of that, what other So you're referring to the EMV, EMV Co, uh, the payment tokenization standard, right? Well, not just, yeah, yeah, of course. Tokenization is open for anybody to use. But my ability to take um, very much like um, sort of what you see with Lupe and MST, but let's just call it an NFC device. I can take a card, encode it into an NFC device, and I can broadcast it over anybody who has an NFC receiving payment card, payment terminal, right? So, again, we're looking at it very, uh, a lot of people looking at this very uh, black and white. Well, that has already been solved by Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and all these different wallets. And I'm saying, perhaps, but imagine if you can build around this infrastructure, tokenization, open standard NFC, 
eye beacons. So more value add, are you saying, and, and, and tying them all together? Perhaps value add, perhaps just creating a device or a system that might even be more interesting than watch and more interesting than iPhone. You know, we're going to be seeing, once we know, it's, it's like this. Back when, back when HTTP protocol uh, was put together, a lot of people were using all sorts of transports over what we now call the internet. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of consternation on whether we're going to be using advanced FTP type systems to, to transfer information back and forth. <coughs> Excuse me. There were other sorts of um, protocols, uh, what we now call the email uh, protocol, et cetera. Nobody knew in those early days, uh, even Mark Andreessen, you know, uh, by the time he got to the World Wide Web uh, browser, nobody really knew that that particular um, overlay of the what what is the standard of uh, Internet would become the standard. Uh, we just didn't know. And as it as life moved on and as things started getting more and more focused towards the browser, then it started started to make sense, but there were still conflicting individuals that were looking at different ways to communicate over, uh, over the internet. And we, today we exist that way. I mean, when you look well, at apps. I think today it's uh, more of proximity payments, uh, digital payments, and more importantly, I think it's a very important topic, uh, the millennials. Uh, I think yes. we'll, be, we'll be getting Sam Wall to come over here sometime in the, I think in a week or two, and he'll be to- talking about the millennials and, and banking. Yeah. Uh, which which uh, brings me to another topic that recently came out is uh, seventy. There's a research done by a firm called Javelin Strategy and Research, and they published a paper that says nearly three uh, three quarters, seventy percent of Americans prefer digital uh, rather than branch for account opening. What are your yes. thoughts on that? I think it is uh, a manifest destiny. I think that people are are so. Uh, accustomed now to doing almost everything on their um, on their devices that it's it's inevitable and and guys like Brett King were so early. I mean, yeah, on Brett this stuff. Brett is, is almost feels vindicated every time something like this comes out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brett King, for people who don't know, is a co-host of uh, Breaking Banks and the author of uh, you know uh, Bank 3.0 as well as uh, Moven. He's the CEO of Moven. I would call Brett. Uh, the the godfather of this concept not that he invented it but yeah. he certainly was the guy that Propagated came out very it. early on and and had the the wherewithal and gumption to sit in front of bankers quite a long time ago and say you know something if you don't get ready for this mm-hmm. you're going to be irrelevant you're you know, going to be I almost compare Brett disrupted. King to Guy Kawasaki I I I say that Brett King is yeah. the evangelist for uh, branchless banking and digital banking and so forth Exactly exactly so so I learned uh much by his tutelage being out there first uh so I read a lot, all of his books I listened to his uh, broadcast and then I go out and I do empirical research and I actually see it hmm. um in one of my studies we were looking at uh, how many people would actually breach the actual door of the bank uh, past the ATM machine? And we found in this study, we did over 250 bank branch locations, uh, a, um, I think, uh, five-day study on each location. It was very long. And at the end of the day, we found that only 10% on average were going past mm-hmm. the ATM doors mm-hmm. and into the bank. Now, the bank might say, well, 
that that's good. They're coming to the bank. They're really coming to the bank because of a number of reasons. Their forced behavior. Uh, the, I think uh, that's a very important word, forced behavior. I mean, that, yeah. they had they had a choice, they would not come at all. Exactly, exactly. I mean, USAA you know, opens an account online completely. 100% and, uh, and, and does very well with it. And there were, you know, early iterations of this. NetBank was one of those very first uh, banks that did something very similar. The problem was foreign ATF. ATM access uh, charges were were either hurting their consumers or hurting NetBank because they had to pay them. Mm. And, you know, back in that epoch, uh, I was responsible for thousands and thousands of ATM machines in one of the businesses I was a partner in. And we would see anytime certain banks would change branch locations or shut down, we would see an explosion in hotel lobbies, motels, airports, uh, gas stations, convenience stores, uh, people that were misplaced by banks that had to downsize or otherwise be shut down because the ATMs were no longer there. You know, the, the reality is people are still going to get to money. ATM machines aren't going anywhere, but they are most definitely, as banks wind up downsizing and as banks start reaching into this reality of what millennials have done, mm-hmm. you're going to see ATM machines actually show up more than they did in the past at locations that are actually much more surprising. So cash is still going to play a part of this. I think ATMs are going to transform to what, what you know, a lot of people are now calling human ATMs and the Uber model, you know. So you could find the nearest person who could sort of give you cash, who's got cash on him and so forth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Bitcoin uh, kind of started to show that model uh, and it's highly effective in some parts of the country and parts of the world. Obviously, just like everything starting up, mm. there's a bit of uh, a head scratch and is this legal? It doesn't look quite right. But, you know, in other parts of the world, when you look at what's going on with M-Pesa in Africa and how uh, certain other payment systems that are similar to that, where ind- independent branches literally pop up on the street, uh, you know, it, it's interesting how these models are developing. So, yes, the millennials, and I hate using that word as much because I think it affects all of us. I think behaviors change because of a lot of reasons. And I think the people that are most flexible in adopting the technology are usually the young. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the uh, the older and even younger than they are people wind up coming along with them uh, because they see what the experience is like. They may not want to take the first step, but they see their sons and daughters. Wow, that's not a bad idea. I'll mm-hmm. give that a try. It's kind of what we saw with Facebook. Actually, you saw it with MySpace, unfortunately, but uh, certainly with uh, Facebook, uh, most definitely. Uh, we're not seeing that with Twitter, but we're seeing it with Instagram. We're seeing it with Snapchat. Parents are now coming on Snapchat. They don't want to talk about that, but it's a massive growth of uh, of uh, adults over the age of uh, well, it, 30 it, on it, Snapchat. The common denominator is always, you know, for lack of a better word, it is the digital wallet. Banks yes. are now being used predominantly as, you know, where you park your money, but you load the money from your bank onto your wallet. The wallet is becoming, you know, all omni-channel, being accepted everywhere, very diversified. Uh, And so it makes me sort of wonder, you know, in the coming years, we'll probably have more wallets uh, doing more business than the banks themselves. I mean, banks are the custodians of the money. You know, nothing we we can do about that yet. But how do you see companies like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, PayPal 
coming in, developing you know applications that we may not have thought of yet that would sort of even kill the banks, so to speak, or the traditional branch banking. Yeah, yeah, because I would want to make this designation from a legal and um, and philosophical basis. Banks aren't going to disappear uh, because they're designed to create security in the money that we hold. We don't want our grandma to put their money into something or their retirement funds into something that could be wiped out tomorrow. That would be a travesty. It would be a, a, like a, an just EMP a, coming in. <laughs> yeah, the DMV. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but you know, let's talk about the financial EMP of the the banking collapse in the 1920s. Uh, there, the, people don't remember this because they weren't around, but they don't study the history. And what we've discovered is some of these banks, when they went down, all the money went with them, and yeah, because uh, they were issuing their own money and personalized promissory notes and IOUs, and you know there was no regulatory oversight. They were exposed by a factor, in some cases, even 500 times of what the deposits were. Exactly, exactly. So that era, for better or for worse, is gone. Um, and we have the FDIC. And as long as we want to have security in what's going on with our money, it will never be to the point where just private companies are handling it. And as much as I am an entrepreneur and open to this, I don't want it to change to a certain level. So what the bank becomes is a completely different entity, and it's going to be painful for almost everybody uh, in this transitionary period because I don't like to use the word disruption because they're not being disrupted. Technology and Moore's law is changing the very I think the branch is being disrupted, Brian. You have to agree on that yeah, part. Well, no, the, the branch is being irrelevant, made irrelevant the bank's not getting disrupted. There's no reason for most of us to walk into a branch. I mean, there, it, it, the experience is not conducive to where you're happy to be there. I, I've noticed in a lot of studies uh, I've done over the last 30 years concerning banks and certainly my own uh, you know, uh, personal reference here, subjective reference, is that when you're in a bank, there's a heightened sense of... Um, awareness that you're almost like in a federal building, that something can happen. There's security guards. And no matter how, how joyous the workers try to be and how, uh, how fun they might want to be, there's a bit of a grimness that mm. not quite the post office, maybe, maybe more like, the you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, there, there's this feeling that it, it's just not a pleasant thing. Now, Virgin did an incredible job in in, uh, in England uh, to change that experience. I actually got a chance to visit one of the branches. I, I don't know how well they're doing because it's a complicated time. But visiting that bank was incredible. You felt like you were in somebody's great living room. There was fun. There was coffee being served. There was mm -hmm. danishes. Uh, people would serve you while you're sitting in your chair, your money. So you didn't go up to a window. You know, you would sit down and a waitress, essentially, right? Uh, I hate using uh, that sort of designation. Wait yeah, but now that's called private banking or high net worth banking, you know? But it doesn't have to be that way. Do, do I need to wait in some long line? You well, know, if you know in, in your neck of the woods, uh, Umpqua Bank... 
Yeah. They are really, really trying to reinvent the branch model. They're saying, no, the branch is not dead. And here at Umqua, what we're going to do is we're going to make it more community-like. So come and have coffee, come and use the internet, come and sit down, use our offices for you know business functions, even come and use our conference room. But yet exactly. you're actually going to a bank branch. Now, how well that model stands out, I don't know. Only time will tell. Uh, some pundits say that, you know, maybe they're just holding on desperately and trying to, you know, you know not shut down. You know, Faisal, for, for, I would say, back in the 1980s <clears throat> and growing up back east primarily as a kid, to tell anybody in that epoch that you would be going to your gas station to pick up a burrito, a burrito, uh, a yeah, case of beer probably not. and candy. <laughs> it would be the last thing you would think of some grease guy coming out from doing an oil change with a rag. Well, well, not, Maybe. At least not in the major cities. I mean, in a small city, sure, small town, yes, but well, not in the major cities. In the, in the 1980s, it was pretty much unheard of to see that sort of convergence. It's now in the United States, it's the norm. You don't see the independent gas station even in the small towns any longer. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a convergence of the bank becoming part coffee house, uh, part, uh, they're going to find maybe uh, part FedEx uh, shipping office, mm -hmm. a UPS, maybe mm -hmm. part post office, part Amazon drop off. Kind of reminds <laughs> me like the, you know, the convenience store in Little House on the Prairie. It would yes. do everything. <laughs> It, I, I think we're going to see a morph. There are reasons that branches might make sense. Oh, and the other thing is nobody predicted banks would move into the front of grocery stores. And some of the most successful bank branches are out by the checkout aisles in some of the major grocery stores in, a, in the large cities. Mm -hmm. People basically, they're checking out. There they are. Um, maybe gas stations. You know, this convergence is is quite interesting. There's a really compelling video, and I'll try to get you the link. Uh, and this uh, this uh, is an MIT uh, marketing, uh, no, sorry, NYC marketing professor, uh, professor, uh, New York uh, um, uh, University, and he says that he's predicting Amazon to buy gas stations or the U.S. Post Office because they need to have a physical retail presence. And this guy makes an incredibly compelling case for it. Uh, and when you see the video, you'll, you'll find it interesting. Hmm. Now, when I first heard this, you know, I tried to be a creative thinker. I didn't, I, I knew the post office, I knew Radio Shack because that was on the list, but the post office, and then all of a sudden it makes sense. You know, the post office is facing uh, a, a very big um, fork in the road at some point. There's talk about privatizing it. There's talk about FedEx, UPS, uh, and and now Amazon potentially taking elements of the infrastructure. I'm not saying they're going to take mm. a governmental system mm. and operate it like a government. It's mm. going to be something entirely different. But their logistics and distribution uh, reach and capability is phenomenal for an online company. So I, I found that fascinating. Seeing is a morph morphification, if you will, of what we're used to. And just like there used to be the convenience store, the gas station, they're merging. There's like, uh, you know, the bank merged with the parts of the grocery store. And um, I think it's going to be a good thing as far as what it means for apps and, 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 and the cell phone. I think those functions that can be performed 
with a click of a button. Because you have the remote deposit capture. That was the one thing that you had to go to the bank to deposit checks. Change the world. Uh, And RDC, MRDC mobile uh, remote deposit capture changed everything. So uh, the compelling reason now to go is to, you know, maybe get something attested, uh, a document sign or, you know, pick up something that's in the physical form or what have you. But the reason for the branches to exist uh, day by day are, you know, declining. Uh, and Faisal, I think- I got to ask you, in your part of the world, what do you see? I mean, wh- what do you see as far so as I actually, the typical uh, user? So I have actually two accounts with two banks over here, and I can count on my fingers seven. That's the total number of times I've been to the bank branch, seven in the past one year. Um, wow. Uh, two are because I opened the account and the rest five <laughs> were because I had to go and pick up a document. I literally had to pick up a document for which I had to be present. But other than that, I do not go to the bank branch. I mean, my, my banker keeps calling me up, you know, I'll come to you or why don't you come and visit us, etc. But what's the reason? I mean, you know, there is no reason for me to go there. And was it a was it a great experience, really, when you had to go out to the bank? Well, they were happy to see me. <laughs> well, for you, I mean, you had better things to do. But that yeah, day, I right? had better things to do. I really had better things to do. And uh, you know, it was it was it was sort of you know, why am I even? Can't you just send it over? No, you have to come over here and sign yeah. this document, what have you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and funny, funny thing is, one of the things was that I had to increase the limit on my internet banking, which I could not do <laughs> on online. I had to go visit the branch and do it, which was fine. But you, but but that was you know, that. in my research, I remember is back in the '90s that somebody said visiting a bank was like going to the Department of Motor Motor Vehicles. Yeah, yeah the DMV. It was the same, <laughs> yeah, same type of experience. And you know, the thing is, in the 1990s, of- Brian, banking used to be painful. It was because, you know, they used to charge, some banks used to charge you to use the ATM machine. They literally had it inverted. They said, well, the ATM machine is costing us money and we have to recoup that money. They weren't looking at how it would just make their banking more efficient. And it's funny how legacy companies, you know, uh, change towards the future. You know, as, as technologists, we like to press a button and eliminate all the country roads and build a high-speed freeway. But when we look at how things grow, the country roads aren't demolished. People still use them. Freeways come and go. They change. Sometimes they get, you know, uh, high-speed high speed, uh, train lines and things like that. Mm-hmm. But everything grows in, in layers. And I think we're going to be seeing that within this whole financial system. And I think what Brett uh, King had telegraphed to the world so early on and what we're seeing now is we're slowly seeing that things that we used to think were banking turned out really to be more of a technology thing. Like you said, what was the world like before you could do an electronic check deposit? It Mm. was it was, you had to go to an ATM machine. What was it like before the ATM machine? You had to go inside the bank and then they had to look at it, stamp it, and then it had to get bundled and it would go into the belly of a plane somewhere else and then it would get sorted and then it would get deposited. That was all the way up until 9-11. The only reason why the U.S. changed was yeah. because it was discovered the plane, by yeah, the, the government. Planes were grounded, the planes yeah. couldn't go up. Yeah. And the money system stopped uh, and he said, this check, cannot hence, stand. Uh, check 21, which later, you know, uh, the images, uh, image cover letters, you know, were converted to uh, the uh, mobile report deposit capture and so forth. That's where we are now. And, and, and so the whole access to money, and then we converge this with Bitcoin, 
what we are considering money, all of these things are going to change. They're going to be incredible, incredible changes. They're going to be incredible winners, some losers in this. I can't imagine at this stage of the game, any legacy company buying into the old model of disruption where they just cling to their past and they go down in a blaze of glory. I think it's a fantasy world for any startup or any innovator to think that legacy companies aren't going to deal with this. But on the other side of this, the ability to think creatively, the ability to see infrastructure already out there and the ability to use it in a way that nobody has used it before is where I think the creativity is coming from. That's why I say you have NFC, you have tokenization, you have the internet, you have iBeacons, you have uh, a, a supercomputer in people's pocket. Mm. You have all these different things and now one on maybe your wrist. Of all these things that are going to change, uh, I think it's an opportune time. You know, I think it's uh, a great time for innovation. On that note, sir, well said. Uh, we'll try. Well, I to- want to say one more thing, though, before sure. we uh, exit. This is a, a real quick thing. There was a news event that uh, Apple Pay has become the hotbed of fraud. It made headlines, and incredible uh, writers were writing about it, and some incredible uh, minds and payments were presenting this notion. A really good friend actually wrote this. He's a great, great mind of payments. He wrote one of the first blogs about it. The difficulty is, Maybe not the story content, but the headlines are making this into an Apple Pay fraud issue. It's a bank fraud issue. It's it's the banks who are... It's a loading issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we all know that on the articles themselves that the sample value, the on on the basis of which the, you know, the articles have been written uh, can be questioned. Let's say, yeah, to, to put it mildly. I, I would say to put it mildly... I would say that in 2020 hindsight, a lot of the people that looked at this probably jumped too quickly into assuming it's a big thing. Uh, I think at this point, there's a lot of people uh, that are angry because there seems to be agendas that are at hand. The bottom line is, this is a great example of two technologies meeting up. Mm. You have this incredibly powerful digitalization uh, and tokenization. And you have this old technology of a card and loading that card. Now, I had predicted back in 2011 that ultimately, at some point in time, all cards will be manifested primarily in a digital mode loaded into your mobile device so it never touches a piece of plastic. This is a good example of why that's going to happen. So be ready for another shift within Apple Pay. And that is going to be some cards that are going to give you the option Mm. of just being inserted into your wallet. And there's not going to be this loading issue. There's not going to be some hacker. By the way, on this uh, Apple uh, event that's happening on Tuesday, do you think uh, we'll be seeing... Actually, Monday. Okay, sorry, Monday. Monday. Uh, My apologies. Uh, Do you think we'll be seeing any uh, announcement with respect to Apple Pay? Absolutely. I think when we walk away from the event, uh, some of the Apple Pay announcements will be uh, just as big as what we learn from Watch. Um, you know, I, I hate being so close and telegraphing because hear things, you get confirmations, but Apple has been known to change things at the very, very last minute. Hmm. And the data that I have may be different. But here's what I can say. We're going to see more banks. We're going to be seeing some major merchant locations, uh, at least from what I can tell, being announced. We're going to be seeing a demo of watch commerce. It's what I've been terming this. Yeah. Watch commerce is commerce that takes place 
obviously on the watch, but makes sense to be on the watch more than any other uh, type of delivery mechanism. We're going to see Panera, uh, and I know this pretty much, I've seen this demo, uh, showing a way to order sandwiches and food on your watch. It will actually be quite compelling, quite seductive for a lot of people. And I think we're going to be seeing how Apple Pay is much more usable not that it wasn't before, but the use case much stronger on watch than it is on phone. And the reason being is it's on your arm. It's synchronized to your body. It becomes uh, totally uh, uh, disconnected the moment it leaves your skin. Hmm. Uh, And it's, I think, an experience that many people will say, that's really what I was looking for. I liked Apple Pay. There's no uh, fingerprint required. Because what essentially Apple is doing with watch is you do the fingerprint one time to sync, uh, to sync your watch with your phone once it's on your arm. And as long as it stays on your arm, that fingerprint uh, verification is still solid. So you don't keep needing to have to put your fingerprint on the phone do you think, uh, uh, to authorize a payment. Do you think that Apple will open up its system, its uh, ecosystem to allow... Uh, the likes of Huawei and uh, Pebble to do the same to have the same functionality of Apple of Apple Watch Pay. Not anytime soon. I think that element is going to be. They might cannibalize their market by doing so. No, no, it's not really about cannibalization. A lot of people read it that way on the surface, and it appears to be that way. It's about control of user experience. Apple is so finely tuned about controlling user experience, and we talked about the the problems with MST, right? So maybe we know why Apple didn't acquire MST uh, technology. Uh, you you want to be able to quantify as much as you can. And what we just talked about before, the loading issue, is not an Apple problem. And Apple has no rights or responsibilities to go to their bank partners who are expert in this and to say, oh, we want you to do this, this, and this to have a yellow, green, or red, or blue, or purple path for mm. loading cards. This is not Apple's province. And to paint Apple in a corner to say they should have done that is ridiculous, naive, and maybe agenda-bound. Okay. Uh, I, have a so, last que- I have a last question sure. for you. The Apple invitation, the background, what do you make of it? Well, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a geometric sunflower. So what does, yes. that, what does that say? You know, I... I, I the last 20 invitations I decoded fairly accurate. Like the last really? one was, uh, yeah, the last one had two sixes upside down, right? And uh, when you turned uh, the uh, the so, invitation, because it was yeah. nine, nine. And I said, there are going to be two versions of iPhone 6. And we said, what are you reading? I go, there's two versions of iPhone 6. It's right there. And of course there were. And, so and nobody, what is this? What is this I mean, it looks like a Himachi sunflower, you know, the Japanese sunflower, but I don't know. I, I find it interesting. Well, I want to... Pair your memory here for a second. You see that sunflower, right? Yeah. But very geometric, very colorful. Very very colorful. And what are the words? Spring ahead? Yeah. Well, we just had a time zone change. Yeah, very true. Uh, Apple Watch, you know, time watch, there's a connection there. Um, I don't think we're going to find from that, but uh, I have a friend that, thinks he knows and um unfortunately i can't really say but mm. I, I could just say that he thinks it has to a lot to do with the 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 angles that you're talking about okay but and i you think know, and i think it's fair enough to tell our users that we listeners rather uh, that we probably might just do a mid-show after post apple event 
You know, that's an interesting idea, Faisal. I, I think it might be worthy if we can get everybody on board, um, you know, maybe the day after. I, I'd be up, you know, I'm going to be in, in uh, Cupertino on Monday, so I won't be able to do it there easily. Yeah, be- we could probably do one in midweek and also yeah. post that up. Yeah, I, I think it would be really important. And uh, I think we'll be talking about a whole lot more things in payments post um Apple Watch Monday. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be seeing uh, some interesting things. Well, gentlemen, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And thank hopefully you. Thank uh, you, uh, Mike's done that round. Well, maybe he's done that round and he's hydrated and not dehydrated. Yes, uh, it'd be uh, great to hear his uh, stories of his journey in the next show. And um, you have a wonderful rest of the weekend. You too. Speak then. Thank you. Take care, Faisal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.